Well, boys, looks like you started the fun without me. You're all sick. Every last one of you. We're going to need a bigger gun. What's the matter? You scared of things that go boom? My name is Eric 13 and here to tell us about his Angora sweater fetish. Is that yeah, was that me. it? That was it. Michael sure. Kester. Yeah. Hi. Uh, we're here I today. I couldn't remember to the talk. name of the fucking sweater material. <laughs> is that ang- Angora, right? I don't it's, know. Yeah, it's a, it's a type of it's a type of uh, rabbit or goat. Oh, that just got really sad that No, they don't die. It's it's like a sustainable one, don't worry. Oh great. Yeah, you're you're welcome. Uh we're talking we're talking about uh clothes today. Um so we'll see you next week. Uh, no, we're talking we're talking about clothes today. We're doing Spooky Paul clothes. Thomas <laughs> Spooky clothes. Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, the guy from film school. Uh he did a movie <laughs> called Phantom Thread. So we're gonna you cover didn't go to fucking film school. No, but if you did, you know, it's Paul. I always say that people who go to film school either major in Paul Thomas Anderson or Quentin Tarantino and minor in the other. What, what's with all these vintage film references over here? <laughs> Where you got any contemporary filmmakers here? This is old people movies. I don't know what you're talking about. And we're pairing Phantom Thread with In Fabric, which is a movie about a spooky dress. Yeah, actually, these are very recent films mm-hmm. and very haunted films one of them i guess Ooh, maybe no, not. they're both haunted i'll give you haunted i'll All give right. you haunted across the board i think it's uh you know phantom thread was really funny to me because this is part of the perils of going in cold you know i mean we like to not know things about movies before we see them we don't want to see a trailer we try to avoid a poster mm-hmm. and the more movies just become a little uh fungible tokens or what the fuck ever digital consumable items it's kind of hard to avoid trailers and Mm -hmm. all the rest but i did go in cold the first time i saw phantom thread and i spent the entire runtime waiting for a phantom i kid you not that is a real (laughs) i don't know how i you know there were a lot of movies coming out it was the end of the year I didn't necessarily get it mixed up, but I was sort of like, okay, what's this one? Phantom Thread? Okay, yeah, I'm in the mood for some kind of like spooky dresses or whatever. And In Fabric didn't exist yet. Yeah. And I basically think In Fabric was the movie I thought I was getting during Phantom Thread. So sure, extremely funny to just me that it is now a double feature. (laughs) If you hate this double feature, as always... Patreon.com forward slash double feature. That's a good place to go. Give us some money and tell us we're doing a bad job and how we can do better. Yeah, no no one does that. This is as much for you as it is for us. So you get to pick movies or whatever if you want. Or you can just executive produce the show and just like let it coast and like see what the fuck we're gonna come up with. So a couple weeks back, I meant to make this joke because it was like toward the end of the year. A couple weeks back, we did that uh, Once Upon a Time in America and Pee-Wee's big holiday show Mm -hmm. which you dear listener may have been like wow this is like some year-end shit for them (laughs) that to pair those two and the only reason that it wasn't year-end shit is because we have a better one in mind if we make it to the end of the year so patreon.com forward slash double feature very funny for possibly the funniest pair in double feature history very funny very topical Mm -hmm. that's a future show you're gonna love it 
You know, I don't know if we've mentioned this, but I don't think the listeners have uh, enough of a sense of like how much we we pay attention to the Patreons. We talk about you guys. We're like, oh, wasn't this, didn't so-and-so recommend this movie three years ago? Oh, did you mm-hmm. ever see this movie? Oh, this person's been banging on about this film. You know, they must live in this country. Like we we do talk about that a lot on and off the air. And we think about it a lot and it it goes in and influences the programming. And, you know, I mean, if you're if you're sitting there right now going, oh, finally, a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, it's been so long. Like, man, get on the Patreon, send us a little message. You know, we read those things, we talk about them. And obviously we uh, we pick out the films, but even if you just want to send us a little message and be like, hey, you know, do you not watch Paul Thomas Anderson movies or what, what the fuck's going on over there? Mm-hmm. That is all on the Patreon, and and if you're currently on the Patreon, I encourage you to send us messages. I'm just feeling like getting some messages right now. I don't know. You're bored. You're already bored. I, uh, <laughs> I'm not. Look, I can tell you are feeling a little. You're checking your phone. You're checking your phone. Uh, yeah, and Phantom right. Thread hasn't even started yet. Excuse me. I don't have the kind of Wi-Fi that can support both my phone and our <laughs> our recording apparatus at the same time. We have to power down the lights in the apartment to get everything uh, running here. So I can tell that you are feeling a little nervous about this double feature you picked out. And I will have you know, Michael, that I loved the double feature and that I was not bored. Okay, good. So don't you, don't you worry. Let's start with a log line on this here Phantom Thread. Phantom Thread is about an eccentric clothing designer who couldn't in a million years be in love because of his eccentricities. And yet, over a very large breakfast, he falls in love with a woman who he emotionally tortures as he tries to pursue his career. And uh, There's spoilers in here. I feel the need to start lobbing him already. Well, and it's sort of, uh, it's sort of about how that relationship... Um, what that relationship means, what it provides for him. But really what it's about is the fact, you know, you mentioned that these are movies about haunted clothes and Uh what this movie really is. So like, this is like a post log line thing, but it's just the main thing I want to just call out at the beginning so that we know what we're talking about, or at least so you know where I stand on this, uh, which is that this guy doesn't like to do clothes. He doesn't, he's not, he's really good at it, but he doesn't like it but he's really good at it. And he basically meets this woman who has the opportunity to ruin his career. Um, And he basically tries to force her to ruin his career for him. So he doesn't have to keep doing it. Oh, that's interesting. That's even deeper than I read into the movie. Yeah. Because I didn't necessarily think that he doesn't love clothes. Where do you see joy in this movie? Well, yeah, but come on, man. As a person with depression, I will tell you that 90% of the activities that I'm in love with, I just look like I'm having a terrible time. <laughs> so so it's kind of maybe I'm a little... Yeah, but as a person who designs clothes, this guy's not enjoying it. <laughs> okay, well, well now, now we have... Um, yeah, I mean, we have the expert opinion, so I don't know. This is not the face you make when you... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think we're watching a movie definitely about, you know, a skilled craftsman. And it's uh, really, it's fine art that we're talking about. It's very, very minute details. It's somebody who's achieved uh, a very high status in 
what he does. And we're introduced to this love interest of his like a foil to what's going on in his path, only to find that she's a character with her own ends. Mm-hmm. And really, you could, you could write a whole log line about her plot, but it does, it does uh, kind of like bubble just under the surface so that we maybe don't catch on to it until it's really kicking up. I think that if we looked at her as an obstacle to what he's doing, or maybe as you said, like a, um, I mean, not an obstacle in reality, but someone who can really open his life back up. She is a, she's a funny foil in the movie, I guess is what I'm getting to. Mm -hmm. The way that they both need to have the last word, you know, in an argument it makes the scenes funny and it does so in a way that kind of lends itself to the themes of just the, I don't know if it's like a stubbornness or what you would call it, but just that need to, it's like a one-upsmanship. It's like a feeling that your way is the correct way and then trying to impose that worldview on the other person. But yeah, you said that you thought he was verbally abusive. Mm-hmm. And that that was, so that's really very telling, I think, of like his demeanor. I feel like the, um, it's a very strange balance, the way that that works in this movie. Because he, he's very, very stern. And I think that, you know, we're, one of the themes of this movie is this reading of this guy as like, kind of an artist psychopath, you know, mad genius, whatever. Just, it's just sort of a fucking monster, right? That he's awful to people, but he's so good at what he does. Let's just kind of mm-hmm. give you the overly stupid version of this. Right, right. Like uh, Christian Bale, for example. <laughs> right, we can think of so many of these people in film, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just littered with people like this. But... You know, Reynolds is a fun psycho. Like, he's overly sensitive to breakfast noises. So, like, the stuff that mm-hmm. gets to him is just really... Sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say... <laughs> I, so, I see that immediately so the, caught you. The thing about these idiosyncrasies that I think is actually really fun about this movie is that, like, when he gets pissed over these breakfast noises, is there not a part of you that's like... Yeah, man, like just let me eat my, let me have my morning coffee in peace. Well, even the mix of this is kind of genius. Yeah, not to the degree where you're like, you're like berating somebody for walking too loudly into your dining room, but like there is a piece of you that can, that is like, okay, so like I'm not that crazy, but I see where he's coming from. Maybe if I were more adamant about my breakfast silence, I would be a more successful individual. Well, first of all, while this isn't really the point, amazing job on the sound mix for, I think, getting the entire audience there because we're all listening to the loudest scrape toast sound we've ever heard. And it's balanced so well. It, the mix doesn't sound like they just cranked up the volume or anything. It does sound placed in the world correctly, but it's so quiet and they've come up upon the scene and we're seeing, well, this other bit that I'll get to, you know, his sort of like, morning meditation over the day's events and it's just interrupted by stupid toast noises and just like (laughs) everything seems to just make a more it's like chainsaws so when he erupts the audience has already been placed inside his head a little bit 
But the thing that I think also sells this moment and and really should when you look at the the actual themes of the movie or really what we're talking about is you know he there's this other theme of the artist as a machine here a machine for commerce this is somebody who is very good at what he does but he's so good that an empire has been built around it and countless people's jobs and his name and everything is on the line all the time and he has to he cannot afford to have a bad breakfast you know bad things would happen not just to him but to other people is sort of the fear now she doesn't seem to think that's true and that's kind of part of the conflict of the movie is she's like you should fucking chill out though for like one minute it won't kill you <laughs> no one will lose their job if you just like butter some toast like relax but you know, when this is another thing we see with artists who, who garner any kind of fame or commercial success is there is then a pressure to like, well, how do we keep cranking out this thing that was once, I mean, almost by definition, not crank outable, you know, this sort of magic that you happened upon as, um, as you moved through this chaotic space and boom, here's a piece of art that came out of it. Great, that works. We need you to just do that, you know. This is TikTok, right? This mm-hmm. is like what uh what influencers burn out on is, you know, I had a video, it got a million hits, and now I gotta make that video three times a day. And the the creative burnout. So he has hit this magic place where the routine he has allows him to optimize the creation. This is something actually uh, in that Sparks documentary from earlier this year. Mm-hmm. It's it's very subtle that they like they show a little bit of what those guys are doing today, and it's very routine oriented. The the Edgar Wright uh, documentary about the Sparks brothers, and so you know they're they're um, musicians who've been working for decades, and it takes a beat to kind of go like, here's what they're doing today. Here's how they keep pumping out material at this this really inspiring rate. And so people who can do this for a living, this is what they do. And there's a self-sacrifice to it personally, I think. There's a lot of consideration, especially as we're getting to know him in the movie, of like what he does and doesn't have time for. Right, that scene early on when he's talking about like, oh, he doesn't have time for an argument. Like it just simply doesn't fit into his day, you know? Right. And as an extension of that, you know, doesn't have time for a marriage, doesn't have time for a personal life, doesn't have time for love because he's got to keep this empire afloat. So Alma enters as this interesting character who's, you know, just wants to break that routine. That very thing that we're told is like, this is what keeps it on the rails, basically. She wants to disrupt that. The thing that's really interesting is, and that this sort of informs what I'm saying about how he is sort of creating this, his own self-demise, right? So he has optimized his life to function essentially perfectly. He doesn't need extra hands. His sister, I mean, obviously is helping him out, but he doesn't have time for marriage or love or anything, any extracurriculars outside of this exact mechanical optimized land of uh-huh. <laughs> super clothing design. And then he self-sabotages by ordering a big breakfast and 
trying to like date this this woman. And that decision, that decision in that moment, in that scene, in the diner, cafe, whatever it is, it doesn't feel like the guy we watched for the first portion of the movie. I mean, you see him, his behaviors and sort of the way he speaks are obviously the same, but there's this, there's this softness of him sort of going, it, to me it feels like a plea where he's like, I'm stuck in this robotic life, I need to get out. Flirting with disaster a little bit. Yeah, and I think he reaches for that, which is why I think, sorry, jumping to the end, which is why I think when she's like, yo, I'm just going to fucking poison you. He's like, thank you. Yeah, there is uh, the, in the last 10 minutes, this movie really reveals itself to have been a super weird, perverse movie the whole time. Yeah. And it changes. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not a twist. It doesn't fundamentally upend everything, but just the degree the sort of the showing of not only her poisoning, but also that he's into it. The he's into it part is what really yeah. elevates this into like, oh, this is like my kind of film. This is like right. fucked up. We're in like crash territory now. You know exactly. what I mean? It's For like, sure. For this sure. is some sort of weird kink yeah, going on in here. R100, man. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, we're doing <laughs> like some kind of weird poison me so I could take a vacation kink. Yeah. But I will also tell you in the, in the craziest periods of crunch time in tech, getting sick was often like the only thing I had to like pull me out of. Sure. You know, oh my God, code, 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 code. Sure. And- there was part of me, and that's happened in film too, actually. There was part of me that's like, well, it's kind of nice that I'm sick because I physically can't move. Sure. So I'm not going to be able to work, and I guess I have to just chill. Yeah. I mean, that's the disgusting late-stage capitalism, be productive or you're a useless mm. waste-of-life situation where like everybody or you know, 60% of of American society was like, man, I sure hope I get laid out from this COVID vaccine because <laughs> yeah, yeah. that would be like a really nice, like free day. You know, I literally remember having conversations like, well, I don't want to get the shot on a Friday because if I get sick, I'll yeah, waste yeah, a Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to schedule it for a Wednesday. And then I'm like, I hope I get sick. I hope I get just sick enough that like I have to stay on the couch all day and just like watch movies and play Xbox, but not so sick that I have to stay in bed because that wastes a day off of work. And I'm again, literally this guy's job is my job. Yeah. So I mean, how much, how much is this? Uh, I remember once we covered while I was working in tech, we covered the social network and I felt like there yeah. was a lot of like creating fledgling applications that really for sure do you, do you sure. relate a lot to this movie like is this Dude, hitting yes. that yeah i i have i have i'm i mean i'm not trying to brag in any way but like i i don't come from uh, i don't know if you've even talked about this on the show so when i'm not recording double feature i'm a clothing designer that's what i'm doing now which um, you know, because you and i have essentially grown up together uh that's not a thing that i like ever did or learned to do or had any school or teaching on. I've already retconned all my memories of you to be like sketching in your fashion notebook though. No. So no, I was like audio recording and trying not to work. Those are my two like major <laughs> right. focuses in life. Um but anyway, so here I am. I'm designing clothes and uh and essentially I've I've backed myself into the same corner as this character. So the reason I'm continuing to design clothes after having not designed clothes is it turns out I'm really good at it. 
Mm. And the only reason that it was discovered that I was really good at it is I like did a few things and they came out and they sold out and suddenly everybody goes, okay, again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it's just been that for the last 12 months. It's just been okay again because then I do another thing and then it sells out. And like literally for the first time since I've been doing designing, uh, first week of November, something I did didn't sell out on the day. And I was crushed. And everybody was like, you know, we ordered six times what we normally do to keep up with the demands. <laughs> And like it sold like 75% out and I'm like, not enough. I feel like I failed uh-huh, and uh-huh. I'm just like devastated. And it, it, it's like, it literally, it's like plagues me to like, I come home from work and I'm just like, I'm like, okay, well, what, am, what's the next thing? Like everything I look at, I'm like, does this inspire me to, sure. to do the next huge effective thing in my work? And so like there are pieces of this. That's why I think it's funny that like I remember being like, man, hopefully I get sick from this COVID shot because I I like distinctly remember being like under a lot of pressure to repeat and repeat and repeat and succeed and succeed and succeed. And uh so it's funny because I feel like in a in in a certain sense, I'm very much like, please poison me with your mushrooms. Do you feel the pull this is very film industry very telling so there's part of this movie they talk about yet another kind of uh breakfast table theme which is this chaos agent that is necessary to creative work like this and yet also in direct opposition to routine Mm -hmm. and i think it's a smaller part of the movie but that's part that really hits close to home to me because you know you're you're trying to access moods and feelings and visually you know visual storytelling and especially when you're doing anything a little more abstract like cutting to the periods in my life where I do the best work are the periods that are the most fucking chaotic mm-hmm. but if it gets too chaotic I can't do the work and I'm also a creature that desperately needs more routine especially <laughs> in freelance so like you're looking around, you're trying to find inspiration for stuff. Do you also feel that like, ooh, I got to put my hand over the flame a little bit in order to make this good? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, it, it's I think it's that's definitely, the poisoning a little bit too is also yeah. the like natural inclination to like fuck around with chaos a little. Sure. Well, I mean, there's, there's always, there's this thing where like as I'm creating these designs, there's a there's a I joke with with one of my coworkers all the time but like if I don't feel like my designs are irritating the people who are manufacturing <laughs> yeah, it yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm not doing enough like I yeah. I think to myself when this spec gets to the people who are going to be creating this sample if they don't look at it and be like Jesus fucking Christ Michael really I feel like I haven't done enough work yeah <laughs> I, I'm good. like I'm like it has to be hard. It has to be hard to do it. It it can't feel easy if it comes if it comes too easily. It's the wrong method. Like you know, I a little bit need a hair shirt in order to feel like there's any success in any of my work. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's talk in fabric. It's a, a horror movie, and maybe uh, on its face, a little bit more natural for me to be uh, trying to gab to my friends about. 
<laughs> but uh, I want to just one more time reinforce with you. I feel like a lot of a lot of personal stuff we didn't know about each other uh, bubbling to the surface. But like I also have a such a thing for high fashion, mm-hmm. and it's a art world that I don't know very well and I'm always drawn to it you know any of these like we have talked a little off the air about like the fashion films the Gaspar Noe the David Lynch ads Mm -hmm. and this is always something I've just been like a fucking moth to a flame on but is an area that I feel like oh I need all this this extensive study it's not like I'm not seeing it immediately I'm not going like oh wait I get this it feels alien it's an exciting alien world so, you know, we get to in fabric, and uh, I know the Peter Strickland stuff. It fe- we, did, um, we did Verbarian Sound Studio on the show. The Duke of Burgundy is my favorite of his, and one that I also feel like, okay, like I 100% get this, is like speaking right to me. I almost mentioned that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when we were talking about the fetishism. <laughs> yeah, well, it's yeah, it's like a I don't know. I don't want to spoil anything about the Duke of Burgundy, but even the visual language of the movie, I just feel like it is um it's very appreciative of film and texture and and then I I can start to see that within fabric because it's the I mean, it really is just kind of a cheat. It's like the aesthetic nature of film texture that Peter Strickland is obviously feels very close to, but then also like texture of clothes, texture of the the macro shots. And so this starts to feel like, oh wait, I can I can kind of flirt with this world a little bit. It's also more about retail than it is about the actual design or high fashion or fashion houses. Mm-hmm. And retail is a very accessible, I mean it's the, you know, it's the end of the pipeline. Mm-hmm. So anybody can walk into a retail store and have that experience. And I think a lot of people, you know, one of their first jobs and and maybe their entire careers are in retail. So it's a familiar environment ripe for very Dry British lampooning. So it's a it's a movie about a, a a spooky department store that has a haunted dress, and when that dress is acquired, it does a it does a uh, it does a murder sort of sort of like a like a Final Destination esque murder, and then the dress changes hands and continues to uh, haunt and murder its new owner, and then the spooky department store doesn't want it back. Yeah, and this is a real haunted dress not like Mm -hmm. a phantom thread i keep making just unnecessary jokes about it haunted dress yeah um do we do we derive any kind of themes out of this movie what is this fucking around with what's no i mean i think i think really you know the the log line is actually it's very much like a movie like prevenge where you're like if you say what it's about it's really not what the movies do sure you see it Mm. Part of it is a little bit about vanity. Part of it is a little bit about um, social status and and trying to raise one's social status by having nice looking mm. clothes. Um, so there's this there's this quote that I, you know, it's it's my fucking it's my cat of nine tails that I whip my back with uh-huh. when I'm working. Well, you're once again talking about the Duke of Burgundy, I think. I right. <laughs> um, that fashion is the art of brainwashing the proud. And I think that there's a little bit of that in this movie. It's this idea that that these people feel like this dress is enhancing their life in some way for no reason, and that that belief uh, will get them killed. 
if they think that if they think that their life can be improved by a material thing. Fashion is the art of brainwashing the proud. I have never heard that before. No. Yeah, and you know, I immediately think of. Uh, I mean, I think there's a there's an obvious scene we didn't even talk about from the previous movie that that lends into that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, both of these movies have an element of loneliness to them. I think in Fabric, really, you know, we're talking about the the dating world and that's kind of how the dress comes back into the picture. And then actually people really are super into hearing about washing machine repair in this film. So that's also <laughs> like, uh, maybe not quite the same. Well, I... I guess I do feel like it's the same thing. It's like lonely people listening to washing machine repair, just anything to have another person in your life. And maybe I'm reading a bit too much into it, but that idea that, okay, I'm lonely. And why am I lonely? Not because it's an inherent part of the the human equation, not because all people are born lonely and then other people come into their lives, not because it's natural, but because I don't look good enough, and if I only, mm-hmm. you know, had this this thing to feed the vanity a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think in general there's this there's this understanding where if you maybe it's not even like trying to attract people into your life. I think I think you know that when it comes to fashion, fashion is always a thing that you can utilize to. So you mentioned, uh, I'm just going to use you as an example, but you mentioned that like you struggle with depression, right? Mm. And there's, there's really like a few ways to handle that. There's, there's Medicaid, there's, you know, whatever, deal with it, however. <laughs> whatever is what I usually do, yes. Yeah, you know, I mean, like you, there's Medicaid, there's like try to, try to work it out or just handle it, right? Uh. But then there's also just pretend it's not there. Uh, denial. Yeah, but but I feel like there's a really easy thing in fashion with denial for a problem like depression because if you dress really put together, if you mm-hmm. look nice, if you smell nice, if you present as a non-depressed person, you will be the only one on earth who knows you're depressed. And that's one person away from nobody knowing. Yeah, yeah, right. So I think if you have these if you have these emotional problems, fashion is a really good way to literally cover them up and try and make it feel like I'm not a lonely person. Look how nice my dress is. Would a lonely person wear a dress like this? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, well, it uh, it's not just about convincing the other people that you are so attractive that they'll want to go out with you. It's also about convincing them that you don't have the the unappealing type of emotional problems that any human might have. Right. Yeah, and that's what was interesting to me about that quote. It kind of stopped me and made me, because there's, there's almost an indictment inherent in it, you know, that, that these are, they're proud people. Like that's, that's a quality that you could look at positively, but I feel like <laughs> the spin of the quote is sort of like, and here's these fucking people. Buying nice clothes, you know, (laughs) like they got something to prove. And so, you know, it, it, it immediately made me kind of look through this film and go, okay, well, I wonder if, if this is an indictment of any of the characters or if, you know, maybe we're not indicting the characters so much as the situations. I think this film takes a lot of joy in, um, 
taking the piss, as the British would say, <laughs> out of, uh, well, you know, like out of corporate environments, out of retail environments. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's literally comparing, you know, it's going like retail witchcraft. Um, the, some of the fucking like witchy monologues about the, um, just the nature of the retail industry or like to challenge the idea of consumerism at Christmas or, you know, like these kind of ideas. They're so funny to me because they're presented so dry that I do this like quadruple take where I'm not sure if I should really be, you know, like they'll kind of start dry and I'll be like, what's this guy saying? And then as he goes further and further into rants about consumerism, consumerist monologue, I'm thinking, oh, this is a joke. This is this is like really dry, satirical. But then he keeps going and I kind of go, well, wait a second. Should I be reading more into this? Like, is this a, maybe I'll be convinced by this if I really sit down and take what he's saying at face value. And I love that about the humor of this. I think you can do so many more interesting things with humor. It's what, I, what I'm coming to realize that I like about dry humor is it, just forces me to think so much more. Mm-hmm. It's not the music playing that tells me how to feel, that tells me to laugh at this part, that tells me to enjoy this part. At this part, I'm tense, you know. When you think about like the scares in this movie are very, uh, it, like it makes jump scares out of sounds. You know, it's, um, it's playful in that way where a lot of movies might even use it as a crutch. They'll tell you how to feel and in certain ways and the jokes the tempo of the jokes do not tell you how to feel in this movie they are so dry that you could misread them as like a hundred percent sincere if the movie wasn't about what it's about right and yeah it makes me kind of like double back on it and actually sort of wonder about the, the very premises of some of the humor it's interesting because isn't this an A24 movie too? Yeah. So A24 production company, uh, you know, they put out all the movies that are like spooky but make you scratch your head. Um, and uh, one thing that they're not super well known for is comedy. And so when you see a movie like In Fabric, it's actually it's actually almost interesting because I feel like there's a Trojan horseness to this where it goes in fabric, a movie about a killer dress. And you go, okay, well, that's going to be hilarious. And then it's like produced by A24, distributed by A24. And you're like, oh, wait, they're going to try and make this serious? Ooh, okay. Uh, And it makes it, it, it's sort of like, there's like this fucking haughty, bullshit about like oh yes mm, in fabric the movie about the uh, <laughs> dubious dress shall we say and it's just like it's like dude it's a killer dress even on its best day it's hilarious <laughs> but the movie so like I, I often I, I the first time I watched this movie this uh, this I watched it tw- uh, the second time for the show so the first time I watched this movie I was like oh this is just like a straight up killer dress horror movie mm-hmm. and uh and then sort of like you're saying, when I watched it this time, I was like, this movie knows it's funny. Yeah, yeah. Like this movie knows that this killer dress premise is like absolute <laughs> insanity. And it's just playing it in such a way that, but it, but it makes me wonder if like even A24 realized that like they accidentally put out a mm. comedy movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, because it it's definitely, it's definitely a movie that's not... Uh, 
it's not I mentioned Prevenge before, which is a movie about a woman who's pregnant and the baby's like, meh, kill things. And that's like the gag. Uh, but that's like clearly a comedy. This, I think, is a secret comedy and it's way better, point being, way better enjoyed as a comedy. If you watch it going the like vapidity of these characters and the like absolute like asinine brujeria of all the witchy clothing things yeah. is a joke. Yeah. Uh, it's so much more enjoyable. And it's enjoyable the other way, but it's way more enjoyable as a comedy. Well, and there's also those uh, those kind of work scenes, these incredibly formal work meetings about, you know, perceived social faux pas and mm-hmm. questionably long bathroom breaks in excess of 20 seconds. And just like like every single character at the table is taking it completely seriously. This mm-hmm. is uh, even her retorts to to their accusations that her bathroom breaks are a little bit too long or poorly timed or whatever is, is like, oh, well, but I get there 10 minutes early sometimes. Maybe you should calculate that as well. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> no, you should question the premise of what they're saying, not, <laughs> not be like, mm, good point, but I, I continued to run the numbers you spoke of. It's like a Terry Gilliam premise or something. Yeah, it's for sure. Like, for sure. It's so wild that people even like that, the way that this world works. You know what else is fucking wild in this movie? I don't know if it reads the same way for you, but there is a, an extended elderly masturbation with triple cum shot scene in this film. Mm -hmm. And it's maybe one of the more extreme images we've seen. It doesn't feel that way to me, but like, how could it not be? Right. You know, like it's, it's like happiness level, uh, triple Mm -hmm. happiness level of, yeah, did this even stick out to you? Or are you just like, yep, this is a scene. This is what you do in this. No, to be honest, I had actually forgotten about it until you just brought it up. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Just based on the content of it, I think you're just so sucked into this bizarre kind of existence and like what is or isn't okay to, you know, like it, it's certainly not the first sexual note in the whole film. Um, you know, they're describing sex acts or having like conversations about taboo sexual stuff earlier, earlier in the movie, you know, the nature of, uh, or like the guys perform, I forget exactly whether, what the, the girl's talking about in their house, but like the, I think it was like the length of orgasm or something, just, mm-hmm. just something where it's like you don't meet somebody at the door to ask how their night was and then also just like feed them all of this. <laughs> so it's not the first time there's something so overtly sexual in the movie. And it's not shy about that either. I mean, it's, it, I don't exactly know that you'd call it like it's some kind of motif of the movie. I don't exactly know what's going on there. Maybe it's just funny. Maybe Peter Strickland's just a pervert. Uh, judging by his other movies, that's probably true. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I just like to applaud anybody doing anything sexual in movies ever because I I was especially feeling, we talked about this a little bit when that movie, not Prevenge, but Revenge came out. Mm-hmm. That, you know, in... This is 2018, this is coming out, and I just feel like we were in a 
what was hopefully a limited period of movies just being like a little hush-hush about sexuality, like maybe let's mm -hmm. just not talk mm -hmm. about sex right now. It's not a good time. And um, movies are boring when they do that. All right, we got a website, doublefeature.fm, and a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash doublefeature. On the Patreon, there's a couple executive producers. I'll tell you their names. It's Henrik Dinner, The Abbot of Unreason, Tom Leonard, Tony Gleed, and John. Thanks for letting us do these weird movies, guys. We appreciate it. Um, if you don't want these weird movies, once again, Patreon. That's a really good place to uh, to to let us, just let us know. I mean, you don't even have to like pick a different movie. You could just let us know. Go on the Patreon, give us feed. This isn't on YouTube. We can't just go read the uh, the comments. We're looking yeah, for you, and even if it feedback. was, you couldn't. We couldn't read your dislikes. So yes. what's the fucking point? Um. All right. So next time on the show, we are fucking off to Germany. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do a Michael Haneke movie and a Wim Wenders movie, uh, like you mentioned off the air. Similarly to how we just arbitrarily went, I don't know, Harmony Corinne and Todd Salons might be friends, and then found out that's the exact opposite of the case. Maybe so we're we'll gonna learn do that about Haneke and Wim Wenders. <laughs> we're gonna do. Haneke's The White Ribbon, and we're going to pair that with Wim Wenders' The American Friend. Uh, I didn't know which one to put first because the do-up rules don't apply with the double the. Oh my God, double the. I'm already regretting this double feature. <laughs> well, we'll talk all about it next time. <laughs> Watch more fucking film. All right, bye.